from the creator economy to the end of Bretton Woods and the origins of the metaverse. This is the UAE Tech Podcast Web3 edition. Tune in for cutting edge interviews on how blockchain is reshaping cyberspace, finance and culture from here in Dubai and cities around the world. And just trying to deconstruct a little bit what I meant by storing data and value. At, at, the end of, at the end of the day, stories run our lives, no? Stories are the way how we communicate and it's the way how culture is formed and it's the way how knowledge is just spread across society. No, we haven't figured out a better way to do it. And it, it and the best way humans have evolved in it's their ability to share knowledge is through the power of storytelling. And this is, if you even go to the to ancient Greece, you'll see that even Socrates as the, the godfather of philosophy, you know, of this study of wisdom, he, he, he did not believe in actually writing things down. All of Socrates' actually teachings are seen or, or seen or can be interpreted through the writings of Plato, actually, because Socrates did not even believe in writing. He believed in sharing wisdom through stories. And I think that establishes a strong, a strong starting point on, on the importance of narrative and telling the appropriate stories that establish connections, because it's just an inherent part of human nature. No. And data is very important because if we see how technology has evolved, particularly in, in terms of the internet, or let's call it the web, we see this natural evolution of web one to web two to a web three now. And it's all about data, right? And it's all about how data is, is actually managed. Because if you see a traditional web one, then you see that it was there was not a lot of interactivity there. There was only there there was it was a one-way street. And you would consume the data that others would give, you know? You you could even see that in the 90s. I don't know if you remember, John, you, you actually had like eight or 10,000 websites. And there was actually a physical print directory of the actual 10,000 websites that you could actually visit. No way. I actually didn't know that. <laughs> That's yeah. I wish so, I had so that. Because at the end of the day, it was just, uh, it was just, uh, it, 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 was, it was a telephone booth. No, it was a telephone book. You could actually just yeah. go and consume data. But then as Web2 model evolved, we started to have this interaction of use of data, no? which is that birth of centralized systems. No? Where, where the trust model behind it is, let's have these great aggregators of, uh, which aggregate data and provide you value-added services no? that actually give you a very dynamic user-generated content and give you a way of participating by leveraging your data, correct? But the data is not yours and you don't actually use it. They act, and you actually have a lot of models in which these large institutions actually use your data and provide you value-added services. But it is this era of interactivity. And now we're evolving into this novel space of Web3 where you actually have the possibility to leverage your own data and create your own value, you know? And a lot of people refer to the, the, the birth of the ownership economy, you know? And I truly believe that we are at the advent of the, the, a, a new 
technological revolution that will also that will also translate into an economic or a market revolution because now we control the data and when i control the data if i now have a technology that allows me to communicate with another peer without the need of a central governing authority I can then create my own infrastructure or leverage an existing infrastructure without having to give my data. And that is just, it's, it's incredibly important and impactful, no? So if now we combine having the possibility to tell amazing stories and have the possibility to leverage our own data, then we can start creating new things that derive value. And, and you mentioned a little bit of the metaverse, and you're absolutely right when, when you mention about right now the state of the metaverse. But let's just think about the metaverse very simply. Let's just think about the age of the experience internet, no? And the, it, it can be very fluid. So if you actually bring stories and you bring this novel way of handling data where you actually own it, then you can start seeing this novel representation of the internet as a very, very open or blank canvas in which you can actually create new businesses, new models of value, and you can actually uh, re reinterpret the way you actually are going to deliver products and services. And I think that's wonderful. That, that would be tying those three components together. Dr. Orlando Zuberan is Global Head of Web3 and Metaverse Services for RRD or RR Dunley & Sons, an American Fortune 500 integrated communications company. In this episode, Rolando provides a global perspective on what he depicts as a profound but sometimes messy revolution in Web3 technologies. He believes that a new relationship between storytelling and data ownership is evolving into a new economic rationale. Here, an NFT can blur the line between consumer and co-owner. A younger generation growing up in Web3 native digital economies will fundamentally challenge how we think about employment. Human capital will also be globalized even more than it is today. Rolando refers to all of this as meta-marketing 2.0. His point is that as our identities merge with online worlds, the way we envisage the economics and society of the future will be made possible not simply by the technologies we deploy, but by the stories we use to comprehend and shape the world around us. Rolando, thanks so much for joining us today. Super excited to have you on this series. So can we jump right in? Can you tell us a little bit about your passion, what you're working on right now, and a little bit about brand storytelling in the metaverse? No, absolutely, John. And it's an, it's an absolute pleasure. And I thank you for having me here. And jumping right in, I think, I think we're living an incredible and amazing new time. No, it's, a, it's, it's, it's bringing a, new, a novel technology that's actually allowing us to to deep dive into the core of marketing, no, which is how to tell amazing stories and and connect with people in different in different ways. And I think this is at the essence or the ethos of this new uh, so-called Web three revolution, all no? that is bringing uh, how we are utilizing technology not only to decentralize uh, stakeholder relationships, how is usually seen, but it's also how we are going to bring um, how we're going to tie stories how we're going to 
change consumer engagement no, through these beautiful possibilities of no novel community building and obviously how we are going to derive from that a new stakeholder value. So I think right now there is there is a stage that's being set no, that is allowing not only individuals and obviously new startups, but also established business to actually reconnect with their consumers in a different way, no? in a time where technology is actually shifting not only the way we interact, but the way we actually socialize and experience the world around us. No? And I think this is pivotal uh, when addressing how the future of uh, storytelling and community building and engagement will be because we are facing, and I think this is upon us, a generational shift where people are starting to uh, experience the world very differently, no? And I think we saw this from the advent of COVID, uh, that things have changed, and things have changed in a way that a lot of people really don't want to go back to the establishment or the status quo, whether it's traditional business or going to work the same way they used to. And we have to recognize that. And I think it's a it's a great opportunity and we're living in a in a in a fascinating time. No? It definitely seems like we're at an inflection point. And I like the way you phrased it about the stage is being set, things are changing. We're not exactly sure where we're going to end up, but we do know that right now we're in a cycle of significant transition. And I think there's a lot to discuss there, just from your, your opening points. Before we get into the meat and bones of the changes ahead and what is Web3, I want to ask you a little bit about yourself because you have a super interesting background too. You know, you've got uh, the research side that you're interested in. You've got the creative and the storytelling side. And you've also got the, the kind of business background. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, your academic interests and background for our audience and also how you personally got into this space. So, no, so absolutely. So, so just as a personal story, uh, I've always been uh, immersed in, in innovation ecosystems and high-performing startups, and I've always been very close to technology. But at the core, I've always been very, very drawn to research and, and analytics. I, I've, I've been a passionate uh, I would say I've been passionate about economics since since I was quite young. No, that's what took me directly into into going for a more quantitative formation. No, by studying economics or in in the in the UK, but very interestingly, I was always very interested in the stories behind economics and the stories behind markets. And I used to love reading about. It, how history affected actually how the evolution of societies actually affected markets. And I was drawn into writing research papers. And that brought me very, very close uh, to understanding the stories matter. You know, and stories are very important. So mm -hmm. if, if you see a little bit of my, of my background, you'll see that I have this background in international relations, which allows you to actually deep dive into understanding history and understanding context and then economics just tied it all up for me and it just brought numbers and it just brought a cohesive vision of how to represent the world differently and i think from there i had always thought that i might have uh, the possibility to pursue uh, an avenue in, in research and academics but world just 
the, the, the realities of world just attracted me and started taking me into business. And once you have the capacity to tell stories and you actually have the capacity to analyze data, uh, I think those are two very interesting uh, attributes not to have when you're approaching business. So it eventually took me a little bit into strategic planning, a little bit into forecasting, then into business. And then you start finding this beautiful niche, which is a creative storytelling and the ability to actually connect with people. And now the final piece of the equation is when you actually bring technology into the into the into this this beautiful narrative or this equation and now everything makes sense because you have the capacity through technology to now socialize and democratize access to the, to uh, of these of these narratives no and if you provide the the appropriate data behind it or the analytical component then you have something right and then you have something around so i think that's what's have me passionate obviously of of innovation and exponential technologies no which i just love but particularly web3 now i think it's a world that embodies these three uh, particular traits one of them is this reemergence of storytelling as the center thesis of every product and every service. The second one is leveraging data correctly. You no, know? this new way of leveraging data and leveraging the econ the ownership of said data to actually create value. And finally, this beautiful technology, which is inherently simple in its conception, but very, very complex in how you can structure solutions to actually provide value. No, and I think that's at the heart of marketing, and that is uh, that is this, this this gives you this possibility to reinvent or reimagine marketing, and this is something that I'm pretty fascinated about, and something that I'm doing a lot of research, and I'm trying to actually refer to a new terminology, which I'm I'm calling it as meta marketing 2.0. No, uh, so I would say that brings a little bit of the tying my background to what I'm doing right now and why I'm very passionate about it. That's so fascinating and, and preaching to the choir there. So as a little bit of an aside, um, I also have a, an IR background and a history background. And what was so interesting is that um, I'd say, you know, in the early 2000s, uh, history background and IR background, if you wanted to go into technology, was a little bit weird. It wasn't, you know, kind of massively useful. And what's happening increasingly, I recently read a, a I'm currently about to finish the, the network state, um, which is, you know, becoming quite an influential online manifesto about the power of blockchain and DAOs to create new kind of governance systems. And one of the most interesting things about that book is it starts with saying that if you really want to understand emerging blockchain and Web3 based technologies, the real potential of them, then you have to understand our history and society, because these technologies are so powerful, they're going to change all of these aspects of our life, of our civilizations. And only the people that have the imaginations to understand the changes that have happened in the past will be able to protect and build technologies that that will change many human systems in the future and I thought that was a really amazing point and it was kind of uh, this idea that you know the coders and builders of the future will have a background um, not just in hard skills and coding but also in that understanding of you know how how nation states work how no, geopolitics work really fascinating 
I mean, John, you're giving me a perfect segue. <laughs> you're giving me a perfect segue with you having a background in history. I think what you're saying, it's not only important, I think it's pivotal. And I think it's going to be one of the differences in actually a companies or individuals that actually are able to provide this transformational value with this technology is by actually understanding history and actually understanding context, understanding sociology, understanding a, how societies work. And there is a component that's very important uh, when you approach this in terms of how the technology will resolve the challenges no? uh, ahead of us. And for example, I'll give you an example of what I think are certain challenges. You mentioned DAOs. No, yeah. So DAOs as a decentralized autonomous organization, they're, they're so young, uh, John, that mm. I personally believe from academic or research or from an analysis standpoint is it has certain structural flaws that might even be endemic to the actual creation of the concept of DAO itself, because we might be actually trying to solve problems that with 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 this with utilizing a technology, but applying the same way. So, for example, I'll give you an example with DAOs. No, it, it feels like we are almost trying to just reinvent reapply democracy as we know it no in a new governance system without actually solving the problem yeah. and remember how churchill said no that democracy is the worst form of government <laughs> except all others no oh, yeah, yeah so so look at dao that was a model that actually springs from the wisdom of the crowds theory no from actually being able that collective decision making can actually benefit in that of individual decision making no but but here in, in this particular case, if you're adding the value of anonymity, no, you might be actually creating a negative collective uh, incentive there where not very similar to what Umberto Eco said a little bit about the invasion of the idiots, no? Mm. That by removing this characteristic of accountability, then democracy does not necessarily work. And at the end of the day, we're just a delegative or representative democracy business model that we're trying to utilize technology to decentralize that competency but DAOs are very complex because we still haven't figured out a way to make them work. So I think knowing history and knowing public policy and knowing these concepts help a lot to actually define how we're going to use the technology to solve the problems. Huh? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great point. It's a great segue into some of what I wanted to ask you about too, but I agree with you. I think what's so funny about the DAO example is that um, you know I, I know some guys who said, look, we can kind of build whatever we want but we just don't know how to build the human philosophy or the human system behind this. And we ended up doing research on, you know, republics, um, benign dictatorships, aristocracies, um, you know, mega democracies where every single issue is voted for because the possibilities with the technology is so new, you know, responding to things and voting on things in real time, which of course is more or less impossible in a physical um democracy where you have to go to a voting booth some of the some of the concepts are so new with these technologies that how you think about them has to change and you really have to you know open your mind and i think it's the same with the metaverse you know i'm a big fan for the potential of the metaverse but sometimes i walk inside it and i see the same stores that i get on a high street in the uk and i'm thinking hey you know this is meant to be an entirely new zone of experience um, and when I step into this space, yeah, you know, I want some brands that maybe I recognize, 
but I also want new experiences. And I think that's a great introduction to, to some of the points you made earlier on story, data, and value, and this idea of meta-marketing 2.0. So I really have two questions for you. One, for our audience, can you kind of break down what you mean by story, data, and value? And two, and this is the key question, how do you think we need to change the way we think about marketing and branding and storytelling in Web3 for some of these new systems, specifically in the metaverse? No, absolutely, absolutely, it's a pleasure, man. And just trying to deconstruct a little bit of what I meant by story, data, and, and value. At, at the end, of, at the end of the day, stories run our lives. No, stories are the way how we communicate, and it's the way how culture is formed, and it's the way how knowledge is just spread across society. No, we haven't figured out a better way to do it, and it it and the best way humans have evolved. In it's their ability to share knowledge is through the power of storytelling. And this is, if you even go to the to ancient Greece, you'll see that even Socrates, as the, the godfather of philosophy, you know, of this study of wisdom, he, he, he did not believe in actually writing things down. All of Socrates' actually teachings are seen or, or seen or can be interpreted through the writings of Plato, actually, because Socrates did not even believe in writing. He believed in sharing wisdom through stories. And I think that establishes a strong, a strong starting point on, on the importance of narrative and telling the appropriate stories that establish connections, because it's just an inherent part of human nature. No. And data is very important because if we see how technology has evolved, particularly in, in terms of the internet, or let's call it the web, we see this natural evolution of web one to web two to a web three now. And it's all about data, right? And it's all about how data is, is actually managed. Because if you see a traditional web one, then you see that it was there was not a lot of interactivity there. There was only there there was it was a one-way street. And you would consume the data that others would give, you know? You you could even see that in the 90s. I don't know if you remember, John, you, you actually had like eight or 10,000 websites. And there was actually a physical print directory of the actual 10,000 websites that you could actually visit. No way. I actually didn't know that. <laughs> That's yeah. I wish so, I had so that. Because at the end of the day, it was just, uh, it was just, uh, it, 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 was, it was a telephone booth. No, it was a telephone book. You could actually just yeah. go and consume data. But then as Web2 model evolved, we started to have this interaction of use of data, no? which is that birth of centralized systems. No? Where, where the trust model behind it is, let's have these great aggregators of, uh, which aggregate data and provide you value-added services no? that actually give you a very dynamic user-generated content and give you a way of participating by leveraging your data, correct? But the data is not yours and you don't actually use it. They act, and you actually have a lot of models in which these large institutions actually use your data and provide you value-added services. But it is this era of interactivity. And now we're evolving into this novel space of Web3 where you actually have the possibility to leverage your own data and create your own value. You know? And a lot of people refer to the, the, the birth of the ownership economy 
no? And I truly believe that we are at the advent of the, the uh, a new technological revolution that will also that will also translate into an economic or a market revolution because now we control the data. And when I control the data, if I now have a technology that allows me to communicate with another peer without the need of a central governing authority, I can then create my own infrastructure or leverage an existing infrastructure without having to give my data. And that is just, it's, it's incredibly important and impactful, no? So if now we combine having the possibility to tell amazing stories and have the possibility to leverage our own data, then we can start creating new things that derive value. And, and you mentioned a little bit of the metaverse, and you're absolutely right when, when you mention about right now the state of the metaverse. But let's just think about the metaverse very simply. Let's just think about the age of the experience internet, no? And the it, it can be very fluid. So if you actually bring stories and you bring this novel way of handling data where you actually own it, then you can start seeing this novel representation of the internet as a very, very open or blank canvas in which you can actually create new businesses, new models of value, and you can actually uh, re reinterpret the way you actually are going to deliver products and services. And I think that's wonderful. That, that would be tying those three components together. Yeah, that's a great overview. And uh, for our listeners, we did a previous episode with Bruce Pan of Ocean Protocol on data markets, uh, where a lot of Rolando was talking about the, the ownership economy and the role of data within these ecosystems was really well explained, but really like the way that was tied in to the idea of, of storytelling and new types of value and the kind of value that's not just owned by centralized institutions, the kind of value that you know, anyone with a good skill set and, and a good product or idea can can hopefully create. On that note, I also wanted to talk to you, Rolando, because I know that at the same time as being very passionate and bullish about many of these technologies, you're also a realist and a pragmatist, and you're someone that's also able to talk about the challenges from an ecosystem and an enterprise point of view. Um, so, of course, we're all super excited about what is on the horizon. But at the same time, you know, as business people um, and, and as creatives, we also need to understand the challenges. So what do you think are the most significant challenges ahead uh, for Web3, um, you know, generally, but also for RRD? I mean, every, 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 revolution, uh, every revolution comes with, with change, you know, and, and change is always complex sometimes to manage. And, and I think it, this, this new this new embodiment of this revolutionary decentralized way of, of looking at of life and data and engagement and community building comes with beautiful things. But as you said, it comes with great challenges, no? And, and I always say user beware, no? Because a lot of people actually in the community are, are praising this need to have mainstream adoption, no? And they're trying to bring the mainstream market into the technology. And, and I always say that there's a couple of structural challenges that have to be addressed there. No, we're not quite there yet. No. And, and even though, for example, everybody praises NFTs and community building as this novel approach to disrupt consumer engagement, with I, which I think it exists, 
given the utility, governance, shareholder value, security security features and governance that it provides. But right now we're we're according to a couple a couple of studies, we're we're closing three percent, let's say, of mainstream adoption. No, and user experience still remains very very challenging. And I think user experience constitutes the largest barrier of entry for uh, to actually entertain certain socioeconomic echelons. No, that the ethos of Web three is actually trying to communicate there. No, regulation we're still. There's still a lot of challenges in regulation in terms of tokens, for example. It still remains very broad and meek at best rather than specific when structured classifications. And, and that, that's okay. No, that's okay because there will be a gradual adjustment towards this novel technology. And and and, and, and this will start to simmer down. But to, to your point, I think the most important thing that comes here is that you have to understand that most people are usually just here for the ride. And, and I'm going to paraphrase uh, a friend of mine that I, I met in a, in a conference recently. Uh, he's actually in Dubai. And he said that people, mo- most people, they just want to have a beautiful, engaging experience. no? And they just want to have experiences which are fun and that are enticing and that make their life easier and beautiful. And if technology helps, well, then that's okay. And that's great, no? And I think we're facing one of these traditional Steve Jobs cases, no? Where he said that you actually have to begin with the consumer experience and then work back in the technology. And I think a lot of Web3 right now, it's stuck in this place where it's focused on that technology and it's trying to bring the consumers to actually use the technology. And I think it should be the other way around, no? And having said that now, the greatest challenge us as global communication companies or as entrepreneurs or as founders, the challenge is being able to tell beautiful stories which are very enticing for the consumer, which allows them to enjoy the ride whilst keeping this ethos of Web3 alive, no? Because I think it's very important to understand where where a Web3 is coming from and what it's trying to solve. So we have to find this balance, right? And if we talk now a little bit about the, the challenges of implementation, well, that's another ballgame because... The challenge as storytellers is not only telling the stories, but being able to execute them, John. No, And with the advent of Web3 coming into mainstream, there's a lot of things that will happen. And they they have to do with scale. I call it three things, no? Scale, reliability, and supply chain management, which are necessary features of every business that wants to scale globally. No, and giving this interconnectivity quality of, of Web3, there is now a need for projects to be constantly active 24-7 across multiple time zones, uh, languages globally, and this will inherently require logistics, regulatory considerations, time zone differences, supply chain management. This is very important, and I think this is, this is one of the greatest challenges that the industry will face, no? How to actually scale globally when this becomes truly mainstream adopted. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. I mean, just just to know, I love that point on 
you know, consumer, create for the consumer and then work backwards, a really insightful point that I, that we haven't discussed on the, on this series before in regards to Web3. And it's a really good way of framing kind of where we're at right now. But yes, I do want to ask you about implementation, particularly given RRD's, um, you know, kind of global position and, and your access to several markets. Of course, the blockchain was meant to help with supply chain logistics. It was meant to make it, you know, faster and much easier to track individual items. Uh, but there is that issue of scale and there is that um, challenge of regulation. So very quickly, can we talk a little bit about implementation? And I know it's a nuts and bolts thing, but as you say, if you really want to create beautiful stories that people enjoy, that as you said, make their lives happier, then you do need the boring infrastructure behind it. You need it to work across different time zones at scale and to almost be hidden in the background. What are the challenges to that and how far away from it are we? No, I think I, I think getting the boring stuff right is what actually makes businesses work, no, and thrive and scale. Absolutely. No, and I think yeah. and I think it's the difference from being a entrepreneur to act and an an entrepreneur to actually being an established scaled business. No. And right now, for example, if we look at Web3's technological developing capacity, obviously there's a scarcity of talent, no. And there are a lot of barriers of entry and there's a lot of specialized talent in particularly in developers that are doing on-chain solutions or actually working directly with blockchains. But this is something that we've seen before, right? And yes, we might not have it today, but in a few years, this will be scalable. Right. And the large hubs in the world that are very focused on technology right now in Web 2 that have a lot of full stack capability will jump on board. And suddenly this competitive advantage that existed of having very limited technology and talent availability will suddenly be democratized. Right. And then it becomes cheaper and it becomes scalable. So then you don't have that much of a technology edge because in a few years you might be able to scale that globally and very efficiently. So once that component is released, then you start talking about implementation, right? And as I see it, very, very doing, structuring a, a, a metaphor, a comparison, imagine that the Web3 is a gold rush, right? And if there is, you might find gold or not, correct? But every gold rush, regardless whether you strike gold or not, there will always be a need for picks and shovels, correct? And every business requires the capacity to actually implement at scale and at cost. So yes, right now it might be difficult to find a company that actually can give you that development capacity to, de to source a product in X amount of time, but that will be solved. Now the next question is, where will I source my human capital? Will I actually have everyone in my company or, or will I resort to more strategic ways of approaching this as, such as business processing outsourcing that can actually come be, and become, become very efficient and reduce your costs up to 30 or 40 percent in your backend technology no or we talk a lot about how blockchain solves logistics but at the end of the day we still live in a physical world and I think this digital or this mix between physical and 
and digital will still exist and will require supply chain management, on-time delivery will require to source globally to multiple locations. What happens when the large hotel chains come in this business and we, and we need to source this in more than 30 countries in a just-in-time or, or a supply chain view and we have to actually deliver and source a global project. Those are a couple of the challenges that I think you require in the back end. And obviously, uh, you need to be able to scale. There needs to be a capacity to have human uh, working capital to actually being able to deploy a global operations. And I think this is a lot of what a large corporates and Fortune 500s will bring into the play of Web3. It's bringing a lot of this scale and implementation of the beauties of the beautiful stories that have been told. Yeah. And I mean, human capital is something that we should probably talk about. But before we get to that, I want to ask you very quickly, because we, we just have to talk about it, um, about NFTs and virtual assets. I know you're a fan of, of the Board 8 Yacht Club, clearly. Um, and I know that there's a big discussion on the future of virtual assets. So not just cryptocurrencies, but, you know, new ways of creating stories through NFTs and other fungible tokens. What's your thoughts on that right now? What do you think are the near-term opportunities? And do you think this is a long-term solution that we'll be using in 20, 30 years time? Or do you think there's going to be hybrid technologies and new systems on the horizon? No, I, I, I mean, absolutely. Uh, NFT is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful topic. And we could spend hours talking about NFTs. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but the reality is that obviously, obviously NFTs have been right now positioned in a certain niche or framed as having, let's say, limited scope in, in, what, in what its potential is. But I truly believe that NFTs have have come to change the world as we know it and uh, this and the the most important part that i uh, i'm going to mention i think it's in terms of the two of them one is the actual uh, the capacity to ascribe physical value to a digital asset which i think empowers the the ownership economy this ability to actually ascribe unique properties to to digital assets which were uh, prior to the NFT development, it was very complex to actually ascribe a value to a, to a digital asset. And then the second one is the portability of the asset itself. No, this, this ability to have this digital asset with a physical property ascribed, which has portability across multiple systems or platforms. And I think that's the game changer. No, So yes, right now, uh, NFTs found their niche incubated in art. And then they evolved into community building. And yes, uh, the, the board of Yacht Club, they, they, they brought the concept of utility to the game, no? The ability of actually saying just by holding this NFT or just by holding this token, you have or you'll be, you'll have certain utility derived from being part of this community. And suddenly you become a stakeholder, no? And you're just not a consumer, but now you're sort of an investor. And then it starts providing with additional values, such as saying, well, by having or holding this token, now you, you're not only going to have utility, but you're going to have rewards. Just by holding and not selling, you'll have periodical rewards, whether it's an airdrop or, or some merch or X or Y or Z. 
And then it just it keeps evolving by saying, now we're also going to give you governance. No, the moment you have this token, you're actually going to take this part in the decisions of the community. Mm. And now you also have security because by having this asset, you're going to have token gated access to a part of a community that it's only available if you have that asset. A little bit like UK and clubs, no? From Soho House to 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 all the clubs that you can see in in the UK, very very popular. Exactly. But now it's it's changing even more. Because now you're saying you were part of the community, you're part of this, you're, you're now a stakeholder, and now you start introducing DeFi into the mix. And, and you start seeing, well, now by having this token that gives you utility and you're a part of a club, now you're going to be able to earn with tokenomics, no, by just holding the assets and reinvesting in the funding of the products. So when I see a product, for example, like a community project like the NFT, and let's just take the board ape as a as a as a parallel, I don't see it as necessarily investing in an NFT. I'm seeing it as maybe being a shareholder of the company behind the NFT that actually will provide a platform that will involve gaming, monetization, DeFi, community building, which is right now very, very competitive. So if I were to have the opportunity to invest a couple of years ago in Fortnite, I would have probably invested knowing now what the success of this model has been. Yeah. No? Now bring portability into the game and allow you to take the assets from Fortnite and now take them somewhere else. Now that's a game changer. So I see... That's the value I see right now of NFTs. That's the I would summarize that as the value of what people believe NFTs could be. But now, if you see the applications behind NFTs, then we go into very complex things such as identity. No, uh, something so important and so powerful as identity being a, a able to be improved through NFTs and. Then we start seeing about how we manage data and receipts and how we manage warranties in retail and how we, we start seeing that with what you said, networks and infrastructure. I believe that in the next five years or towards 2030, most, if not all, digital forms of communication that are transmitted between individuals will be in some sort of form of NFTs. That's fascinating. And um, that was a just, you're right, we could talk about NFTs um, for a very long time. And I think uh, in summary, I agree with you. I think the way we use NFTs is only going to expand. And the potential, there are potential use cases there. You know, you mentioned interoperability, which I think is a massive one, particularly for the metaverse and, and across gaming systems. But, you know, from cinema tickets to aspects of everyday life, I think NFT technology, you're absolutely right, isn't going anywhere and we're going to be use it in, using it in all sorts of ways that are entirely new. And of course, I think it will also be a fundamental aspect of, of brand storytelling as well. And we've already seen that with, you know, some of the innovative business models behind Board 8 Yacht Club, um, the way they created that community, created kind of community co-ownership and then, you know, moved that into a kind of metaverse ecosystem. So what is happening is fascinating. But Something linked to that because we're we're getting towards the end of our time today, but I thought it was an important question. It's probably something that you have a, a lot of thoughts on. I wanted to go back to that point about human capital because we've talked about so much today 
and we've talked about the power of stories and the opportunities and challenges inside these technologies. And I also wanted to, to bring that down to the level of the individual creator, to human capital, to the individual in Mexico City or in Dubai or in you know, Taiwan or the Philippines or, or, or in the UK, who's creating really interesting stuff, has you know, a small group, maybe a hundred or a thousand fans. Do you think that the opportunities ahead for them are real? You know, so, you know, we had in, in, in the previous web, this idea that, you know, the creator economy, and then we had YouTube and Twitter, and it's definitely helped creators, but it hasn't been the dream. You know, it hasn't really kind of set them free and led to this massive, you know, uh, real uh, kind of creator economy. Do you think Web3 will bring that? It will enfranchise a new generation of creators all over the world, regardless of where they're born simply based on their skill set and what they're creating? Or do you think we're going to have consolidation and we need to be a bit more pragmatic about where this is going? So obviously technology technology always brings with it a, a set of promises that might not might or might not be delivered. No, we we have to we have to just see that not all technology actually transcends into mainstream adoption and not actually disrupts uh, what is actually meant to disrupt from its inception. No, and yes, you're absolutely right. There was this this, and I don't want to say failed, but this there was this overhyped promise of the age of the creator economy. No, and what would it bring? And yes, it it did bring value. Uh, but I do think right now we are at the midst of a new, true, let's call it a, the next new true technological revolution. Because all revolutions, uh, John, imply a change in how the economy is transformed, how value is created, and how social uh, actors interact. And let, let's just rephrase it, no? There has to be a change in how the economy is transformed. There has to be a new value creation, and there has to be a new way in how uh, actors <laughs> interact. No, and I think that the toolkit that Web three brings, which is not blockchain. Blockchain, let's position it for semantics purposes as the underlying language behind Web three, but. But what three actually brings out concepts that integrate such as XR web and gaming and storytelling. And it brings out a lot of context that creates new business models, right? And I think that is pivotal in the in, in, in this new creation economy mixed with this ownership economy, given the portability of assets. And I truly believe that with the disruptions that we saw now uh, with how now humans have this ability and this resiliency to actually adapt to adversity that we saw in COVID, we're seeing that now new generations are going to start valuing the creation of content and the creation of their own assets as a new competitive advantage. And when, when I talk a lot with human resource companies um, or in or human resource forums, John, they, they speak a lot about the great resignation, right? About how people's mindsets have changed in terms of how they value their time and how they value the quality of life. And I tell them, you have not seen the great resignation yet. Yeah. The great resignation will true. come 
when you're actually trying to offer a corporate position to a kid that can actually make three, four, five, ten thousand dollars in one month by being completely immersed in his own maybe game or in its ecosystem. Right. And and we are not prepared yet. And this will not be solved by offering them flex time or certain benefits. It's inherently changing the way new generations see value here. And just if I have two more minutes, just to actually put this as a frame of of educational construct, we see a lot of how there's a natural evolution in how kids, since they're young and they start with Roblox, Mm -hmm. they're actually not playing games, but they're actually understanding the dynamics of digital assets. And by the time they actually migrate to a Minecraft, they're taking complex barter economy decisions between assets and resources. And now when they evolve into Fortnite, well, they're they're full-fledged entrepreneurs that know the value of digital assets. And I believe that we are are about to see in the next coming years a middle-class segment of the population where the the head of the household is going to come with his kids and say, hey, listen, why are you in computers every day instead of actually going to work? And he's going to turn that way and say, dad, I just made twice what you make in a month, in a week by playing this game, right? And this will impact the way capital moves across, capital and labor moves across regions. And it will obviously transform the way value is created in companies, either as global companies, either we adapt and we understand this, and we understand that we're going to start facing uh, people that don't want to reveal their identities when they work for us, and then that, that privacy is important, and that we need to be very, very, very conscious of these changes that are coming. That's the only way we'll remain competitive in the marketplace. But I do see a great value and a great potential in, in the ownership economy and content creators as, as a new as this being a great opportunity for them, for yeah, us. I, th- I think totally. I think that is the generational aspect of this is something that is massive and probably isn't being spoken enough about enough because, you know, a lot of the people doing the podcasts kind of have grown up with the internet, but they're not the ones who've grown up with, as you said, Roblox and Fortnite, right? And it's just native to these kids now. It's crazy. Um, And I've had a lot of anecdotes from friends who are parents about, you know, even the way kids are socializing using things like Roblox in ways that just didn't happen before Um, and how that moves into the economy and how that um, shifts working patterns. I think that's a whole major area um, of change that, you know, it might be might be a decade away. But um, it's it's going to massively disrupt uh, a lot of established businesses and the and the economy. And it's really interesting that you're aware of that. I haven't heard that point made many times on this series. Um, so I wanted to finish up today um, asking you a bit about what you and RRD think is the potential for Dubai, because we're all looking forward to seeing you at Jitex in October. Um, now you're going to have a big presence there. But what do you think Dubai is, and and the UAE in particular, is doing right? And why do you think this is an exciting market um, for you and for RRD more generally? So so for us, us, obviously, Dubai, uh, 
Dubai holds a strategic relevance not only not, not only as a technology hub but also as a as a deployment platform for business and access to to to, to regions across the globe no and if you if you see a company as as R. Donnelly or RD we are this global fortune 500 which is a, a business communications and marketing platform that deploys technology solutions across the globe and at the end of the day, having access to both the U.S. as a strategic market and also the APAC region no, is of strategic relevance. And if you actually combine this with our company strategic sourcing hubs in India and in Sri Lanka and Southeast Asia, with this capacity to actually deploy uh, business processing, outsourcing, and creative technology solutions for for a lot of Fortune 500 clients, we have we have over 350 Fortune 500 clients and and most of Fortune 100 clients uh, with us. And it's important to have these strategic hubs, right? And sometimes when I actually look at the globe now and I try to map what three I see, I say, well, most of the clients are in the U.S. And there's a hugely growing market in Asia, right? And I see there's a lot of talent right now in Europe in terms of developers and this creation ecosystem, a lot of startups and founders. And then India and Southeast Asian economies are these huge potential markets for future talent incubation for upskilling, right? And I just see Dubai there at the center of it all, just being a very, very, very well-networked ecosystem which we have to also recognize that is also pushing forward in terms of the socio-political narrative of how to be an early adopter, no? And they've announced a lot of initiatives that have to do with experienced internet and with interconnectivity and with new economies. And I think it's a, it's a breeding ground for, for a lot of what we've discussed today. So that's why we're very excited for, for our participation there. And we'll be there the entire week and we'll have a lot of engagements. And I think it's going to be a, very exciting for us. Well, we can't wait to meet you there, uh, Rolando. And thank you so much for your time today. Absolute pleasure talking with you. No, John, please. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate the invitation to, to your podcast. And I had an incredible conversation. And I'll be here for whatever you need. Us too. Hope to see you in October. Thanks, Rolando. Sponsor information. The UAE Tech Podcast is distributed by Albuaba Business free of charge. To sponsor a single episode or a series of themed episodes, please contact our editorial team or download a sponsorship press pack. Sponsors receive an article on Alboweba Business, syndication distribution on Alboweba Syndicate, email direct marketing across the region, and brand inclusion across all podcast marketing design, audio, and video formats. Alboweba is not a PR company, and we do retain editorial discretion and quality control as an independent publisher. Companies looking to support a dialogue on technological transformation in the UAE are encouraged to contact our team.